Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich. And sitting across from me in a swanky Boston hotel room, it's uh, Matt Kane. Matt, how's it going, man? That, that sounds a lot like dirt, dirtier than I think it it, it was intended I to be. I have to admit, I, uh, I felt a bit dirty. You, uh, you, you, sl- <laughs> you, you literally slid into my DMs and you said, come up to my room and you gave me the number of the room. And then I like walked up and there's people walking in the hallway and i'm like trying to be discreet for some reason i'm like knocking on the door and it became this whole thing you offered me a beverage and- it, it was probably awkward that i answered the door in the bathroom but admittedly I shouldn't especially an that. open bathroom an yeah. open bath yes. yeah, yeah. That, that was weird in, in retrospect i mean comfort's key when you're staying in a, in a nice hotel room like this that's the reason you go on vacation yes yeah uh so we're both here for the sloan hockey analytics conference or I guess it's not the hockey analytics conference, it's just a Sloan conference. Yeah, but there, there will be you know limited I, hockey. I've been so used to talking about the Vancouver Hockey Analytics Conference that's coming up in a, in a week or two that uh, I'm just used to I'm just going to label everything the Hockey Analytics it's, Conference. It's, it's what we're here for, more or less. I, I don't know that I'll be, I'll be able to contribute much to the basketball, baseball, soccer, or... or football elements of the conference. So, I mean, there's the one, there's the one panel... With like myself and I think like Tyler Dello and a few other people, but then there's other like talks being given about hockey. I think right or is it like are there are there are there going to be like full on panels? I I think you're on the only hockey panel, but right. I think there are at least one or two others where hockey people will be on participating right. and speaking, which. I think I haven't been here, but I think that's an improvement over years past. So I think some progress is being made. I mean. It's one of those things where obviously some of it has to do with just like easy ice related puns. But I mean, even like the titles of some of these hockey talks the past few years, like the long thaw and like last year, like coming out of the ice age. And it's like everyone seems to recognize just how far, how far behind we are the rest of the sports world. I, I think they, they just like making fun of making fun of the <laughs> hockey people. They, they just want to take their shots and, and bask in their, in their full like data tracking basketball superiority. So, yeah. Yeah. Which right. I, is okay, I guess. All right. Let's, uh, we'll get into the actual talks and, and, and we'll, give, we'll give a little preview of what you and, uh, you and Ryan Stimson are going to be doing this weekend, but we're here to talk about the trade deadline. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday evening. We've had a few hours here to uh, let the trades marinate. <laughs> to let them settle. They're ready for the grill. They're ready for the grill. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought an interesting exercise would be to do maybe sort of like a, I don't know, it seems very generic, but like kind of like a winners and losers sort of thing. Like our, just like our takeaways from what I want to necessarily yeah. evaluate every trade because a lot of them are just like five seconds on ways, but um let's let's just go back and forth what's is there one particular team or gm or situation or player that kind of sticks out to you as like being much better off today than they were maybe yes today earlier today or yesterday or whenever the trade happened I really like the Kevin Chattenkirk trade for for Washington. I know that they're 
they're a team that certainly looks like if they're not the best team in the in the league right now, they are in a position where they're going to be able to make a deep play deep playoff push, which admittedly it feels like they've been in that position for years and years and years now. But the way that they're sort of dominating teams this year in particular feels like maybe they've taken that extra step. Maybe they've got all the right pieces in place down the lineup and adding someone like Kevin Shattenkirk, who's just phenomenal on the power play um, to what's already one of the most dangerous units in the, in the entire league. That to me feels like a big win for them, particularly since they didn't really have to uh, give up any of their, you know, number one, number two prospects to bring them in. Right. And that's a, that's a thing. It's like, it's easy to sort of look at the move and go like, Oh, the capitals are going all in, but I mean, they didn't really need to sacrifice anyone, um, like, tangible off of their current plans, right? Like, it'd be one thing if they, like, traded, like, a guy like Burakovsky or something as as part of, like, a package for some superstar. Then you'd be like, whoa, they're really, like, going for it this year. But it's, like, it's it's a great addition, and he, like, definitely adds another element to them, and now they really don't have any weaknesses. But it's, like, they're also well-positioned to, like, it's not just, like, a, it's a rental for Shattenkirk, but... Next year, they'll also be very, very good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the Capitals are are in a position where they're they've got some free agents coming up. Yep. Uh, T.J. Oshin, Justin Williams, in particular, um, who you know they're they're probably going to get Oshie in particular will will get a raise and may be out of the uh, Caps uh, budget next year. Yep. So in a sense, they do sort of have a limited window. They've got some younger guys who are obviously going to be able to step up and and fill those. So it feels to me, what I liked about the deal was that it's a bit of a calculated risk. It's giving yourself a marginally better chance, you know, a demonstrably better chance without saying, you know, this is our year and only our year. Right. There, there's still room in the future where you can bring up guys like Jakob Verana um, to to fill in those holes that are coming at the end of the season yep. um, and and continue you know with Ovechkin who's still going to be a very good player for at least a few years so I know that um I mean for example you gave the talk uh last year at the Vancouver conference about uh sort of like free agent contracts and uh trying to figure out like I guess how would you put it best like kind of trying to predict like what a fair price would be for them yeah trying trying to figure out I mean less less so what what a good value would be in terms of you know we think that TJ O'Shea will produce like two wins right as as broad as that is for the next three years <laughs> yes. but more you know TJ Oshi is a guy who scored so many goals and we think that players who score that many goals are probably worth four million dollars or five million dollars or six million dollars because that's what GMs have paid them in the past so it's it's looking more so at uh, what we think the, the the market, the GMs as a whole, are going to pay them and, and using that information to say, you know, we think we can afford this guy or we think this guy is going to be available on the cheap and we can focus our energy and going out to him and making our pitch to him. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, Oshi's a great uh, discussion point for this because whenever a player is in that type of situation, I'm always fascinated about all the different factors and sort of how they personally weigh them because... You look at him, he's 30 years old, right? Uh, he's 30 years this year. And this is probably going to be the last like big chance he's going to have to really cash in. I feel like, you know, if he takes especially a long-term deal, he's probably not going to get another big contract offer when he's 35, yeah. 36 years old. And he's going to score like 30-ish goals this year if he, unless he gets injured. And some team's going to look at that and be like, wow, like this guy could really come in and help us a lot. And then, you know, the more sort of... uh critical eye would look at his numbers and go like well he's shooting 23 percent this year and that's probably not a, a, a reliable indicator of what he's going to continue to do so uh it seems like you're kind of buying at his all-time high and you're just setting yourself up for disappointment if you're if you're paying for him i mean generally with most free agents you are if you're kind of paying them after their career year but with oshi did the fascinating thing to me is like he's in such a good spot where he gets to play at five on five with baxter and ovechkin and, you know, Backstrom is known as one of the league's best passers, but Ovechkin kind of just opens up so much more space for that third guy on the line because he has this, like, gravitational pull on defensemen and the other team's just strategy. So, like, if you're Oshi, I mean, I'm sure the money would console you, but, like, I feel like there'd also be, like, 
an attraction to just like maybe taking slightly less money to just stay in this like optimal situation where you're just like winning a lot of games, scoring a lot of goals and having a lot of fun. I I feel like if you're if you're a professional hockey player, I feel like most of them definitely number one, they obviously want the money, but there's an element where you want to win games. You're Mm -hmm. not just in it because it's a well-paying career because there are lots of other well-paying careers that, you know, people can go into. So I feel like that's a factor. I feel like, obviously, for Washington, I, I think they've got a few other RFAs coming up who are going to make it maybe a little bit more complicated. And it's whether they can, whether their offer, I guess, is five hundred thousand less than the top offer, right. or if it's a million and a half less. Yeah. And at that point, over over a five year deal or something, it becomes a lot harder to say to say no to to seven and a half million dollars than to maybe two and a half million dollars. But I definitely agree that you know. If you're if you're going to get some of the fame, some of the accolades for playing alongside two generational players, that's got to be a big yeah. a big draw. Especially you know whether whether they win or not, playing on one of the one of the best teams in the yeah. league right now is a big pitch. Well, and I also think that you know at the risk of getting super deep down this like psychoanalysis uh, rabbit hole, it's like. I imagine for a lot of these players, I mean, there is like an ego component to it, though, where like, I don't think TJ Oshi is sitting at home right now being like, oh, man, I'm so for like, I'm, I'm sure he appreciates getting to play with great players. But I don't think that he thinks that if he went to, I don't know, some, some generic city without like another great superstar to play beside where like he was going to be one of the top dogs. I don't think he like would th- would view that as like oh crap like i'm not going to be able to succeed here like he probably would think that you know what like i'm a i'm a really good player i'm going to like i'm going to earn this money i'm going to i'm going to show everyone what i got and the reason why i bring that up is because i saw a quote today which really fascinated me it was uh, andreas martinson who got traded to the canadians and he described his game as being a good bottom 6 game and i i just i someone commented on that like you never really see a player like talk about themselves in that way, even if it's like pretty obvious that they're more of like a bottom end guy. Like no one ever really describes themselves as like, yeah, I'm a great fourth line grinder. Like I'm going to chip in on this third line. Like players just never really like, I feel like you have to sort of think of yourself as like being this amazing player to just play at the highest level against some of these, some of these other guys. You can't like kind of just kill yourself right off the bat. That that's a really weird quote because even if there there's a lot of guys who know that they're a good bottom six guy, yeah. but they'll use they they use terms like you know yeah, I think I bring words. a lot to the room. Yeah. I've got grit. I <laughs> you know I'm hard to play against. You got to yeah. make it. Like, tougher. I know my role but exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, but but I mean the honesty is probably probably serves him pretty well. Like it, it it's you go in there and you you're open with your coaches about what what you know they want you to do and yeah. and what you can offer and and it probably makes for an easier relationship when they don't have to worry about you know are we getting him enough ice time to to keep him happy because he's got dreams of being the <laughs> being Sidney Crosby next year or something yeah. like that yeah no, that's a good point um all right I guess a good pivot is to keep talking about the Canadians since I just brought up the Andreas Martinson trade and I um Mark Bergevin is one of these guys where I don't think there's any other gym in the league that I have a tougher time getting a grasp on because I feel like his moves just kind of oscillate between like, wow, that was a really smart, like how did he get someone else to sign off on this to like, like how did someone let him sign off on this? Like, it's just like all like, there's no like middle ground where I'm like, you know what? That was like a pretty reasonable trade. Like I, maybe I wouldn't do it, but I can see where he's coming from. Like, I feel like whenever Mark Bergevin makes a bad trade or a bad signing, I'm just like, I'd, I can't even explain this one. Like I don't know. I can't even begin to think what he was thinking here. Yeah, it it almost feels like his view of what his team is changes like really quickly. Like what what he thinks he has and what he thinks he needs to do tends to seems to pivot with you know whether they won the last face off or not. As as a broad example. Last night when they, you know, traded David DeHarnay away and picked up another useful defenseman, yep. Davidson, I thought that was a great deal. I thought, you Fantastic. know, the, yeah. the Canadians, they're they're making smart moves. Maybe they're just fleecing fleecing the, yeah. the bigger fool there, but 
that's a different argument. But then they go out and they trade for Steve Ott, like two and a half hours later or something. And then they continued today to just build on that sort of idea that their their bottom six weren't weren't tough, weren't gritty enough, yeah. weren't hard enough to play against. And I don't know if this is, you know, coming up from from Claude Julien, who's who's telling him, you know, the roster that you gave me isn't the type of roster that I want to play with. And and maybe that's part of it. And and if it is, then good for Bergevin for going out and and molding his team into something that his coach thinks can succeed. Right. Hopefully it's also something that he thinks will succeed. But but it is they're they're a team that went from looking you know like they they'd made a a smart uh acquisition that would help bump them up ever so slightly but wasn't you know like a super obvious move to really looking as if they were almost like panicking at at what their bottom six would look like which you know as much as your bottom six makes a big difference but it also doesn't make a huge difference to the degree that you want to turn them over completely with 20 games left in the season well, I think, like, the question of, you know, like, I'm all for having, uh, like, lineup flexibility and roster versatility where you're not necessarily just, like, one-dimensional. You can do different things. And maybe if you're, you know, especially in the playoffs when you're going to different matchups, like, if you it would suck if you just, like, do only one thing well as a team and then you just run into a, a team that happens to, like, defend that very well. And you're just like, well, we have nothing else. Like, we're going home. <laughs> so, like, I get I get that component of it. But it's, like, it always kind of boggles my mind when – like you look at what makes the Canadian successful beyond Carey Price, and it's like they play they play fast. They have all these guys that retrieve the puck very well. Like it, I mean, that entire system like managed to even make Michelle Terry and look like an okay coach because you know he kept asking him to just dump the puck out of their zone off the glass and stuff. But like they had all these guys that were just so quick on the puck that they would actually retrieve it more often than you generally expect, and it yeah. looked okay. And it's like you that's what makes them successful. And then it's just amazing to, you could look at that and be like acknowledge this makes us successful but we're gonna go a completely different direction with this other part of our roster like it just like i just i never get that it's like just do what's do what's right like i don't like it it really feels like they're focused a lot more on results than process like when if they had kept playing like they were at the start of the season or sorry if they had kept winning like they were at the start of the season i'm well obviously they wouldn't have changed their coach right well maybe they would have uh but I don't think that we see these sort of deadline moves to revamp half the roster that, that they were going through here. Whereas when they're when you're on a losing streak, I, I think I, I read that they didn't have a regulation win in all of yep. all of February. Yep. Um, that I mean, obviously it's it's tough as a GM to go to your owner and say, "No, we're gonna we're gonna stand pat and ride this out." But at the same time to sort of hit the panic button and and say, you know, we need to, to completely revamp a roster that, that looked pretty good at the start of the year. That's that's the whole a whole other end of staying pat that that I don't necessarily know if it's if it as a long term move it makes sense. Yeah. I mean it's just like it's such a weird like it's such a weird fit. I mean I I can't imagine some of these conversations these guys have where it's like can you imagine Mark Bergerman actually calling Ken Holland and, and saying the words like, what is it going to take to get Steve Ott? Like it just like, just starting that conversation. Like it just like, I, I would to like me. to be Ken Holland on the other end of that call. And no, but to, you know, to, you know, Ken Holland's like, it's like with a, with a heavy heart. Like he's like not even like messing around. He's like, Oh man, like, I don't know. Steve Ott just like brings so much to our team. Like, <laughs> like he was playing over Andreas. I see you at the start of the year. Like he loved this guy. Like I, I, I would be, I wouldn't that's, be surprised at all. True, if yeah. like Ken Holland was actually devastated. Like, <laughs> We'll have to take the six. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll take it. I'm doing it. your I'm favorite, sad, Mark. Remember yeah. this down the line. Yeah, exactly. He uh, thinks he's got an ace in the hole for later. <laughs> yeah. It's, um... All right, let's move on from the Canadians. Uh, do you have any other uh, notable standouts? moves that happen i i I liked what vancouver did in general mostly because it went against what i expected them to do i i i really feel like the mumps may have actually saved their their like next few years because it forced them into realizing that you know maybe this isn't our year maybe maybe we're not a playoff team like we thought we were And, you know, like a, a lot of people thought they wouldn't be. Um, 
but I, I thought they got pretty good return on on the players that they did deal away. They for Alex Burrows to bring back a prospect who's looking pretty good. Yeah, how are you feeling about that as a, a Sens fan? As a Sens fan, I'm not thrilled. <laughs> it's it's not my favorite move yes. that, uh, that Pierre Dorian has made. Um, Bur- Burrows is is I think not as bad as a lot of Sens fans had you know sort of panicked and made him out to be, but he's definitely not the. He's definitely not the Alex Burrows that he used to be. And at the same time, I think the... I I just feel that in general, the Sens roster is probably further from being a top-tier team than the management thinks they are. Which, you know, fair enough, I could be way off on this. They are winning games. So Um, as a fan, I'm hoping that I'm wrong. But (laughs) as an analyst, I'll I'll wait and see. I mean, Guy Boucher had the quote today where he was like... Yeah, now we can roll three lines without uh without any sort of drop off. It's like you can, I guess you can roll three lines. I don't know. The, <laughs> there probably will be some drop off. This is the weirdest thing to me is that is that they Boucher seems to at least think or or have had some impression that he didn't have the right pieces at forward to 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 play you know with the depth that he wanted yeah. but at the same time you're you're throwing out guys like tom Pyatt and chris kelly every night so those aren't the guys you want to take out so i'm wondering who it keeps coming back to like who are the guys yeah, who are who the are actual replacing? problem yeah. when when the 40 percent corsi guys aren't aren't the problem which yeah. works me but yeah yeah yeah, no, the Canucks, uh, listen, a lot of crazy stuff's happened in, uh, in 2017 so far, but, uh, me writing an article today saying proclaiming Jim Benning as one of the big winners of the trade line <laughs> was not something I, I saw on my, on, on the forecast, but, uh, listen, you gotta give it to him. Like, we, we slag on him all the time. Last year, the trade line, they didn't do anything, and we got in his case, and deservedly so, and this year, they got ahead of the curve. Uh, they made those two trades before the deadline day, so they didn't really wait till last minute. I guess you could kind of quibble that they didn't find a home for Ryan Miller, but we just sort of saw that there wasn't really any sort of appetite for goalies at this at this deadline for whatever. Yeah, there, there didn't seem to be a big goalie market, no. which, I mean, kind of makes sense because if you're in the market for a goalie, generally you're not winning all that much yes. and, and not really in a position to be a buyer at the deadline. But but Benning did do did do well. He didn't uh he didn't do the obvious panic move, which would be to start buying pieces, and he found homes for for his his movable players that got a decent return and brought in some prospects that, you know, hopefully uh, between the prospects and and the pick that they got back from San Jose will will start to turn into the the future future at least contributors for yes. the Canucks. I'm not going to say stars because I, I don't think that well or at least just something for the fans of that team to root for or have, yeah. have some sort of hope, right? Like the past few years, it's like beyond I guess Bo Horvat, who's exceeded my expectations. Like other than that, it's like there's not anything really like people are getting super excited about Michael well, Marcus Granlin scoring like twenty goals and it's yeah. like, oh well. Yeah, but I think Bo that Bo- says a lot about where this season's going. Bo Horvat snuck snuck up on me too. I, yeah. I when 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 the All Star game came around and, and he was named to the All Star game, I was looking at his stats, I was like, that was not something that I expected from Bo Horvat. Well ever. I'm this not a, I'm not a big like prospects guy and like you know I, I don't watch too much junior hockey um but just based on his like statistical profile and sort of the scouting reports he was billed as more of like a conventional like two-way sort yeah. of defensive center and you know a guy that may, might be like your second or third guy down the middle and like very responsible but not like really moving the needle that much but he just like improved his skating dramatically like just got good I guess good coaching or improved his technique just coming to a pro level and now he's just like this dynamic goal scorer and you're just like well I guess no one really saw I mean maybe the Canucks saw it coming I guess but uh yeah I mean that's kind of like the big thing that analytically we I think we have a really tough time if it's even possible accounting for is you know how much coaching can impact a player's development and in particular like identifying which skills um are things that can be coached and i don't even know if those would be consistent from player to player but it's kind of a a bit of a a a hole in our in our ability to predict uh predict how how prospects are going to turn out the fact that they can actually change they're (laughs) not hockey playing robots yeah yeah people that are 18 years old can be 
dramatically different when they're 21 years old. Yes. Yes. That's good. Um, yeah. From the other, other side of things though. Um, so we mentioned the, the Hansen trade, but I think the sharks are one of the big winners here. I mean, the price they paid was pretty hefty, uh, but you can make the argument that at least Hansen has another year in his contract. So it's not a pure rental, assuming they're going to protect him. Um, and he just like, he seems like a great San Jose Sharks player. Like, I think he's probably what they thought they were getting when they signed Mikhail Bodker this year. And I understand that's probably like a little bit of that is like some like lazy, like, like Danish, <laughs> Danish uh, comparison there. But it's like, he's really, really effective. And he just does all of his damage at five on five, but he never really played top line minutes. So like the counting stats never added up to how good he actually was if you just like looked under the surface. Yeah, I, I like that deal a lot for San Jose. I think that, you know, they're kind of in the position where they, they, I'm not saying that they need to go for it this year for sure, but they they're they're getting towards the end of that you know Thornton Marlowe window definitely. Well, one of the best things that might have happened to them was I mean it's great that they made the Cup final considering they hadn't done that, but like just the way they lost to the Penguins, how the Penguins were uniquely equipped to just like outskate them, even though the Sharks were a pretty fast team. Like the Sharks skated laps around the Kings in the first round, yeah. for example, and then you watch. It's like, oh my god! Like, what would what would that Penguins Kings series have looked like? I can't even imagine. <laughs> but um, like, they pretty clearly watched that series and said, "We're not going to lose like that again." And you know, they replace the biggest hole in their lineup, Roman Polak, with a smooth skating defender and David Schlemko. And now they bring in Yannick Hansen. Like, all of a sudden, you look at this roster, and it's kind of like the Capitals, where I mean, assuming they're not playing Michael Haley in the playoffs, which I'm hoping they won't. Like, they can realistically have. 12 forwards and six defensemen that can all contribute, skate, move the puck, do something useful beyond just being a big body that's kind of taking up space. Yeah, I with especially with the West the way that it is this year, yep. which seems like the strangest thing to say that the the West is the weaker conference and and by what looks like a long a large margin, um the Sharks just, you know, they added I think the the right piece to sort of help cement themselves as the team to beat. I know Minnesota has obviously played really well, but yep. you know, goaltending is is very fickle and and in a seven game series, you know, one one flu bug or one one untied one skate lace. One case of the month. One case of the month. <laughs> oh man. That that would be that would be Can you imagine? A, a playoff series de- decided by mumps would be would be a very NHL uh, <laughs> NHL thing to happen. I, I would laugh, but I would I would be a little a little sad that that, that, that it came to that. Yeah, I, I, I haven't really seen anyone write this uh, story, or maybe it, it's happened, but I, it hasn't come across my eyes. But you know, in in today's uh, landscape, not just for hockey, but I feel like for most professional sports, it's a very reactionary business where, like, as soon as you stop being productive or you lose in a playoff series, like, like two years in a row or something like that, like all of a sudden you see like a guy like Bruce Boudreau, it's like every objective thing would tell you that he's this guy's a fantastic coach, but like a couple just unfortunate playoff losses in a row. And they're just like, well, we need to get rid of this guy. Cause we need to like point to something as the reason why we expect our fortunes to turn around this year. Like, I feel like teams are still really bad at like selling uh, either themselves internally or their fan base as like, we got unlucky. We lost a few puck, puck, puck balances, but next year we're hoping we get them. It's like, we never really hear teams say that, even though that's usually the case, but so the point is, is like with the Sharks, I mean, they've, tra- they've changed their coach and they let a guy like Dan Boyle walk maybe. And they obviously brought in Martin Jones. But for the most part, like this core has been here for years. And it's kind of cool just to see like there were so many times where these rumors about Joel Thornton or Patrick Marlowe moving on. And it'd be cool to see them have another long playoff run and maybe even win a cup like that'd be that'd be very vindicating. Yeah, I mean they they're they're a franchise and I don't want to use the term the right way, but they they did sort of stick to a long-term plan and and realize that, you know, good hockey players don't become bad hockey players in the playoffs all of a sudden. Right. You know, the the playoffs are are 14 games versus for for I guess the average team in that case um, versus 82 games for the regular season, and you can learn a lot more about how good players are over the 82 games than than the short sample of of one or two playoff series. So it's it's nice that they finally did get uh, 
vindicated. I hope they don't like go out and lose in the first round this year. <laughs> Just blow it all <laughs> and, off. and make it seem like, you know, they had their one year and that they, yeah. they, they screwed it up. But, yeah. but you know, there it's always good when there are, are stories that sort of help you as, as an analytical person make the argument that you need to take a longer-term view of things and that, yeah. you know, one game or one week or one series or, or even one year doesn't necessarily make or break um, what you should continue doing in the future. I agree with that. Um, one other team that I wanted to talk about here was the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, who probably won't make the playoffs, so it's not, you know, an urgent matter. But I thought, like, one of the sneaky trades today was just getting rid of Val Philpula. Um, just because, I mean, for for two things, right? Like, one, the $5 million that he was on the hook for next year would have really tied their hands with signing probably Tyler Johnson. I imagine he would kind of would have been, would have been the yeah. odd man out and that would have been a tough thing to reconcile, like having to watch a guy like Tyler Johnson walk or, or having to trade his rights or whatever, because Val Philpula is on your team. Um, and the other thing is he has a no move clause and they would have had to protect him in the expansion draft, which also would have uh, left them kind of exposing a really good player. So, you know, it was one of those things where, it was kind of like a sneaky little trade where it's like, hmm, they traded Val Philpula and like a pick or whatever for Mark Stride, and then they flipped Mark Stride for another pick. But it's like somehow Steve Eiserman just came out smelling like roses here. I don't, I don't know how, but he always does. I, I, I have to wonder if like the other GMs in the league are, are aren't like frustrated by Eiserman because he, you have to feel like they had him like pinned down. Yes. Especially if you're like Vegas, you're looking at this saying like, you know what? They're probably in a situation where we can at least get something out of them to to help them preserve their roster. And then all of a sudden, I think it was like one of the last deals before three o'clock came around. Yeah. Eiserman um, manages to deal Philby away and I, I think I read like he even he got them to to get he got Philly to hold on to like 4.7% of Strait's <laughs> contract and then they're retaining 50% of Strait like it's like it's all this yeah, three so different the, teams are paying Mark Strait now yeah it's it was some like absurd number so that like the numbers worked out exactly perfectly so yeah. there was like no net cap hit and the you don't want to say that someone's playing like four dimensional chess, but Eisenman yes. has to be one of the closest to, to, you know, seeing all the moving pieces that are going around and, and having sort of a, a clear vision of what he needs to do. Well, it's, and, it's amazing that he also took Mark Stride from Philly and then just moved him to Pittsburgh. And it's like, yeah, like they, those two teams didn't really need that middleman, except for the fact that they probably just don't like each other and don't really want to do. Yeah, not, not like, gonna. <laughs> yeah, but it's like Steve Eiserman somehow winds up profiting from this. Like I don't. It's it's funny. Like last summer, I remember looking at it. And I was like, they can't, they can't sign Stamkos. Like Stamkos is a fantastic player, but man, if they sign him to the money he's looking for, like I just don't see how they're going to be able to keep this team intact. And yeah, now I mean, obviously the Kucherov contract goes a long way. The fact that he got him to take so much less than he's yeah. actually worth, but like. Now this, and it's like, yeah, the Lightning, I, I'm going to be very, very high on them again heading into next year, assuming nothing crazy happens between now and then. Yeah, I mean, the, his ability to sort of structure the roster and figure out, you know, if he, if he could get rid of that Ryan Callahan deal, that, that would be the ultimate Houdini oh, move. But yeah. I, I think that's the one that, that he might have tied behind his backs for... For when when does it expire? Twenty twenty in a while. Something like in a while. Yeah. yeah. In in a very long time. Yes. But but he's he's you know, he's found a way to to make things like this work and and David Clarkson got traded, so anything can happen. Anything can happen. You you can't say right it can't that. happen anymore. You're right about that. Um were there any other teams or maybe we haven't discussed any teams that were maybe too quiet, like maybe a team like Anaheim should have done something like I don't know like I were there any other teams where it's like you're kind of confused why they didn't really make any noise Anaheim is one that's interesting because again the West is so weak that they and I guess they picked up Patrick Eves a few days before so that, yeah that counts as a little yeah they they made a, a small move they've still got like a glut of defensemen that that well that's the thing seems to pose an expansion problem in theory Possibly, but well, it seems like they're one of these teams. That, I mean, we keep hearing that there's going to be a lot of action between the end of the season and the expansion draft, and it probably seems like one of those defensemen is going to go. I mean, yeah, I man, if they 
prioritize keeping Cam Fowler over some of these other guys, though. I think that's going to be a very bad decision. As someone who, I don't want to say I dislike the Ducks, but I'm not a huge Ducks fan. Yeah. I don't mind them having this this yes. problem going in. But but yeah, they, I mean, the the Pacific in particular is not very, not very strong. So no. it, it feels like, you know, San Jose went out and made a move to strengthen their position. And Edmonton went and did an Edmonton thing that doesn't necessarily, I don't think makes them a better team. It, it may make them more vulnerable, it probably leaves them close to the same, yeah. maybe a little weaker, but, but Anaheim was in a position where, you know, it's not inconceivable that they could win the first two playoff rounds. And then you're in, you're in the conference finals and they didn't do much to, to help their cause there. I don't think that, I don't know necessarily that they, um, that they are quite on the same level as, as, you know, the San Jose's, the, Connor McDavid's um, for the fifty percent of the game, yes. he'll end up playing in the playoffs. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but they, they're definitely a club that could have stepped up. Uh, the one that really surprised me was Buffalo, mm. um, as a team that is obviously not going anywhere, but really right. didn't didn't do anything to sort of take advantage and, and you know stockpile some more resources for what's seeming like a kind of a long rebuild these yeah, days. Yeah, I wonder what I wonder what happened there because like it's not one of those things where you know last year for example when Jim Benning didn't do anything you could kind of point to like well this guy has like a very suspect asset management track record and maybe he just doesn't really understand what he needs to do here but like Tim Murray has done a pretty good job over the past few years of just getting as many picks as he can like they're amongst the league leaders in terms of how many picks they made over the past 3 or 4 years or whatever and it's like I just wonder what happened. Like maybe he just wasn't getting any offers that were just worth. Like I, I, I don't know. Like it seems like Dmitry Kulikov would have been. Like I'm not a fan of him as a player, but it seems like he would have been like an ideal guy for someone to at least give up like a second rounder for. That's that's the weird thing is that Kulikov obviously like a lot of analytics people don't like him, yeah. but there's an equal number of like yeah I don't want to say non but hockey people who who really like him. And to not be able to turn him or or Cody Franzen, who's kind of the exact opposite of that, um, into, you know, even a later round pick. I don't know what what service they really offer you over the remaining 20 games that 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 you wouldn't take, you know, the last remaining offer at uh, at the deadline. You have to think that they they must have discussed it and and had some offers available. So maybe, maybe those pulled out, but it, it's a little confusing for, for someone that, like you said, generally has had a, had a pretty good read on, yeah. on the market and on where he's moving people. So I agree. I, I agree with that completely. I think that the other kind of puzzling thing to me, and just kind of rerun this same conversation we've had here for many years, but it's like, why does no one like PA parents? I don't like, are like, He's just like the worst person ever or something like that. He like, kick someone's dog. Like, I don't like, I like what, like there must be something behind the scenes because there is no way that like he could have helped every single playoff contender this year. Like there's no way every team thinks they have 12 better forwards. And he went for a sixth rounder. And it like makes me think like, how was there no one that thought he was worth a fifth? round? I, I feel like there must be some like, deep inner like hockey people secret that, that yeah, some, like, you know, GM, GM forum where they're like spreading like rumors and gossip. And... They, they've got a GM slack where PA Parento is like being <laughs> ragged on all the time because you know, there's enough franchises now with, with analytics people who, who in theory get listened to at least a fair amount Yeah, who probably could have said, you know, PA Parento for a sixth round pick, we could give him a fifth round pick and that would still be a pretty good deal for us. Yeah. And, you know, Nashville comes away with him for, for a super cheap price. Steve Ott level price. Steve Ott. That was Montreal's decision, was yeah. Parent or Ott, and, yeah. they, and they went with Ott. Yeah. But, yeah, there, there, there must be something about whether, whether you know, he's quote-unquote bad in the room or... Well, Brad Boys was like this for years, too, right? Where it's like everyone just kept being like... Like, he was on, like, every single bargain bin... UFA blog post anyone wrote for like six years. It's like every year you're like, 
just get Brad Boys for like the league minimum. And he's like sitting there until like September. And then finally someone picks him up and he scores like 22 goals. And you're just like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> this was obvious. We, we told you. <laughs> It's probably just a gift to like the bloggers from the yeah. league as a whole. Like, here, here's smart. some easy content. You know, you guys can push this out. No, no trouble. Write your parent article. And... How magnanimous of them. Yeah. Um, is there any other, other any other big takeaways you have? Uh, nothing huge. I mean, if I'm if I'm I'm biased towards looking at you know the the Ontario mm-hmm. um, Ontario point of view on things and and. You know, Ottawa had a had a weird, weird deadline because I didn't hate all of their moves, but definitely they they have a different view of where where their their um, level of level of ability is right now than I think a lot of other people do. Yes. Um, and then Toronto on the other end didn't really seem to do much to close out that hole on defense that. Maybe they need to to push themselves either into a playoff spot or into, you know, I think they could be a very good team if they didn't keep blowing third period leads, I guess, is the... <laughs> they're fatally flawed. Yes. They're, they're young, man. They can't, they can't close out the games. They, they, get bo- they get bored. It's the but millennial Bra- generation. Now Brian Boyle, he's, uh, I think he's, I saw some, he's played the most playoff games out of anyone since like 2011. So he'll, uh, he'll bring well, that presence go. into the locker room. Maybe, maybe he'll play right defense or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk a little bit about uh, about Sloan. Um, I don't want you to necessarily spill all your beans because I want people to be surprised and excited. All that jazz when you guys actually give your give your talk, but uh, give the people a little bit of a spoiler. What are you What are you and Ryan working on? Yeah, so Ryan Stimson and I, uh, Ryan's from Hockey Graphs as well as I am, uh, are presenting a poster on passing data and how we can use it to evaluate uh, defensive play. Uh, And what we've looked at mostly is both from a team level, what sort of systems, what sort of tactics make for uh, teams that effectively defend against passing plays, um and in particular we looked at you know what are the most dangerous types of passing plays um obviously like royal road mm-hmm. uh pass from behind the net that sort of thing yeah um so which teams in particular i think ryan goes over you know florida did very well last year with a very aggressive man-to-man style um whereas colorado was a lot more passive mm-hmm. um, didn't necessarily mark as closely and and had a lot worse passing results which obviously turned into a lot worse actual results as well. Right. Um, but we also looked at, at the player level, um, how much of an ability do players have to defend against certain types of passes? And one of the things that we found was that if we divide up all of the passes that occur into all these like little bins, like passes from behind the net or Royal Road passes or passes from the center lane, from the right lane, that sort of thing. Yeah. All of these things seem to be distinct defensive skills. So mm-hmm. as, a, as a really simple example, um, defensemen have a lot more impact over how many passes come from behind the net than forwards do, which makes right. a lot of sense. Yeah. Forwards have a lot more impact on how many passes come from the point or how many passes go back to the point. So um, we identified you know, how much of a skill these kinds of things are, and then we identified the fact that a lot of these are independent skills and you can use these passing metrics to uh, help you determine either where your own weaknesses or your opponent's weaknesses are. So yep. if your opponents are giving up, you know, a thousand behind the net passes every game, um, then obviously that's somewhere that somewhere you might want to might want to attack. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you if you're lacking a player who um, can defend against uh, shots off of. Uh, passes on zone entries that may be a player that you want to go out and find so do you think something like um let's say defending passes from behind the net do you think that would be more of an individual player trait that some guys might just be naturally better at or would it be something that a coach could look at the data and say we're going to exploit this i think it's a little bit of both i I think defensively there's a lot more structure and strategy involved Mm -hmm. than offensively. You need five guys who are basically acting as one unit and not, not one of them can screw anything up in order for your results to look good. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's something that you can fix with coaching. That's something that I think you can sort of drill into it. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, there are going to be defensemen who 
are good at positioning their body, are good at, you know, pinning their opponents down into one location so that they don't get that opportunity to make the dangerous pass. And I think that's that's a bit of what we see in the data. There, There's definitely repeatability there, but there's also some areas where there's also some of the data where it's like, we have to regress a little bit because there are team factors, there are yes. opponent factors, there are, you know, he had a flu factors that... Right that uh that we can't necessarily account for that we we want to sort of take out of the data before yeah. we make any evaluations well that's a, that's that was one of my things with uh the patrick wall abs because you know the easy thing was to point at their depth chart on the on the back end and be like you know they don't really have anyone beyond tyson berry and i guess eric johnson and it's like what is patrick wall supposed to do but then it's like you watch them and i felt like a lot of it was just like people just like it looked like they like never practiced like it was just like like people were always in the wrong position at the wrong time it was just like it was so disorganized it was just complete chaos in their own zone and they were playing a lot of that man-to-man where they're just kind of chasing around and it's like i find it hard to believe that you couldn't take like six like generic ahl defensemen that don't really have many skills and just like drill into them like proper positioning and like that like i'm sure like there's only so much you can do unless you have the requisite talent or skill level but i imagine that if you're running a tight ship you can probably like your baseline will be pretty high well that's what i i feel is that the the most impact you can have on a as a coach is you know drilling in that defensive structure if you just get your guys to sit back and you know play a very trapping play a play a style where you don't attack very aggressively and focus like really hard on preventing opportunities against mm-hmm. you'll have pretty good defensive results. Like the devils for years and years were arena bias aside, were, yes. were evidence of this, you know, you can take any group of players and if you have an organization that's dedicated enough to a system, you can drill that into, into players. So, you know, Colorado does not have a great roster, did not have a great roster last year. But at the same time, there are problems that you can fix if you're willing to put the effort into identifying what they are, uh, identifying where where your individual players have gaps in, in, you know, executing whatever system you think is going to close those holes that you have and, you know, working on it. Rather than I don't know, maybe maybe they just did played shinny at their practices. Well, what blows my mind though is that the abs are like even worse now. Like it's like it's one of these things where it's like I just I mean it, you could ex- explain it by the fact that the goaltending really fell apart for them this year, and that was something that underwall, especially like the first season. Like you, you wonder how much it was just like short term sort of luck. Like yeah, Simeon Verlamo was just playing out of his mind and. That wasn't actually his true ability, but like obviously, if the goalies were making a higher level of saves or even like a league average save percentage, they probably wouldn't be like historically bad in terms of goal differential and win loss record right now. But it's just I, I just don't I don't know. Someone needs to do like a big deep dive on the Colorado Avalanche because like I wasn't expecting them to be good, but I looked at the roster and I looked at the fact that I knew Patrick Wall wasn't a good coach, and I thought, well, maybe Jared Bednar is just not a good coach either, but. Uh, assuming that he's okay, I mean, everything we were told about him, like his AHL tracker and everything, seemed like he was a perfectly reasonable candidate. And so I was like, I just don't understand how they're so bad. The, it's it's really baffling because I genuinely thought they would get better year yeah. over year rather than becoming the you know absolute worst team they could possibly. Yes. And one of the going back to the trade deadline actually. I was kind of happy to see that they didn't go ahead and trade away Duchesne or Landeskog because they're those are good young players who are under control for a while. And I don't necessarily know that if you trade Duchesne for a first and a prospect that you're necessarily going to get another Matt Duchesne in in three years when you've already you've got one and yeah. you're going to have probably the first overall pick but if well maybe not probably but you're going to have a very high pick this year yes. where you'll you'll likely get a a good or at least serviceable player out of it mm-hmm. um and you don't want to be you know rebuilding with let's say the the 27th overall pick alongside him and hoping that that 27th overall pick yes turns into matt the best case scenario yeah 
So I'm I'm glad that they didn't panic. I I don't necessarily know what a long term strategy is to fix all of the problems that they have. It's one of those things where like if you see like a car that's so busted up or like a house that just needs so many repairs, you're just like you're kind of overwhelmed. You're like you don't know where to start, right? Like if there's like some if there's like one or two obvious things, you're like okay, well if we start with this, then the next logical thing is to do that. But like you look at that team and it's just like I. It's like it's like stressful a little bit. You just look at it. You're just like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah, like Dishane, <laughs> so Landeskog, and, and McKinnon are like they, those are the things that you know aren't the problem. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that that would be the only argument is. I think for trading either Landeskog or Duchesne. Just like there's so many holes on this team that if you could get like a king's ransom where you get like four or five legitimate assets, but I don't think anyone's paying that right now. I and mean, we're seeing like. Like they were like they were like asking for like goalie prospects or something. Like I don't know. Like everything was just so out of whack. And I think the worst thing they could do is like trade Matt Duchesne for like a Cam Fowler type of defenseman or something. Where they're just like, we need a defenseman, so we're just gonna take this guy that's like okay. And it's like, yeah. And I feel like for probably for them too, the expansion draft isn't helping with the market that they otherwise could have made for them because right. teams are aren't going to want to take on a Matt Duchesne who you're obviously going to have to or going to want to protect um if it's going to mean that there's another player that you're would otherwise get to keep that you're going to end up uh losing in addition to whatever you're paying out to colorado to get matt duchene out of there so mm-hmm. you're there's kind of like a, a plus one onto whatever deal you would have had to made because you're you're bumping someone that you otherwise would have got to keep potentially down into the hands of Las Vegas at that point. So, Yeah, Colorado's got a lot of work ahead of them. Glad it's not our problem. It's Eric Parnas' <laughs> yes. problem now. <laughs> Eric Parnas is like in the corner of this room just sobbing. Quietly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, all right, Matt, plug, uh, plug some stuff. Where can people check out your work, where they can follow you online? Sure. Uh, my, my, my Twitter handle is at Kane underscore Matt. Very original. Mm. Uh, was Matt right- underscore Kane Dagan? I, I think it was. I, I I I hate to admit this, but it took me a really long time to choose between doing like a funny, like creative, and just going with my name. And I yeah. chose just my name, and and I'm kind of glad that I did. But it the, took way longer. Than the thing is, is like I went down this path, and if you're serious about being in this industry, or you know, trying to make even if it's just a hobby, uh, you generally want to have your name associated with your work, assuming you're like doing actual good work yeah. maybe maybe if you're just a jokester maybe you want to, you don't want your name associated with it. but like so eventually like i feel like a lot of people start off with like some sort of witty thing because they're like ah whatever i'm just gonna see where this twitter thing goes and then eventually you're like maybe i should actually just change it to my name and then it's this whole <laughs> whole thing so i i was actually just really worried that my jokes weren't all that funny so <laughs> all right that, man that uh, was the worst part um thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to chat yeah it's, uh, thanks for having me this is fun I'm looking forward to uh, checking out your talk, and I'm sure all that will be available online so people can check out what you and Ryan are doing. Yeah, uh, the paper is online. I think Ryan and I will have something up on hockeygraphs.com, uh, and I've got other stuff up on winnersview.com. If you were in the Washington or Dallas markets right now, mm-hmm. you can check out the videos that we're doing there, or there's a few of them, too, that are globally available, too, if they don't have footage, so... Sweet. We'll check that out and uh, let's get you back on the show soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.